right, my next guest, you guys all know him. He barely needs an introduction. Marty Lurie joins the show. Marty, what's going on? How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, great to talk with you. And uh, look, we've only got a couple more days of baseball, if that. So uh, finally, we're going to put a bow in this 2022 season. What do you think about the 2022 season? General question, vague question, but what's your take on the state of baseball, where it's at, and what you've seen so far this year? Well, I think where we were uh, over the winter, just think about a year ago, uh, the lockout was coming in a few weeks. We had no baseball over the winter, no tickets being sold, no buzz, no dialogue. And all of a sudden we said, what kind of a season are we going to have? Spring training, is it going to start on time? Will the season have 162 games? And there was so much up in the air. We were coming off COVID again. And I think the season turned out amazingly well, amazingly well. And by the time we got into September and the pennant races and we got to the playoffs, you kind of forgot what happened last year, and it's only a year ago. So for me, 2022 ended up, we'll see where the season ends up here in a couple of days, but for where we were back a year ago to where we are today, I think it's been fantastic. I don't think baseball could have asked for anything else and plus, you've got Aaron Judge with 62 home runs in the middle of all that. Yeah, that was quite a run, and he thrilled us all. And maybe we lure him out here west. Who knows how that whole thing's going to end up. But do you think there's a chance the Giants get him? Because the last I saw, a lot of the Yankee players were upset that the, the Yankee fans were booing Aaron Judge during the playoffs after all the thrills he gave them during the regular season. Well, it's part of the, the price of playing in New York, and you have to deal with it. And there were a few players over the years who couldn't deal with it. Uh, the famous Ed Whitson back in the 80s who ended up there and was booed out of town. It's happened before. But if you're in, in New York, it's the biggest city in the country. It's the biggest baseball market. And you've just set the American League record, breaking Roger Maris's record and going past Babe Ruth. How can you not get caught up in all that and Broadway and, and all the people and the subways and everything that's in the back pages? It's hard not to get caught up in it. So I think we in the media make a little too much out of uh, will he come here, will he go there. Uh, you don't know the kid. And I call him a kid. He's still a young man. What does he want? What does he really want? And I ask you this. Uh, you've been around baseball for so long. You've been around free agency. What what goes into a decision like this for Aaron Judge? What, what are the key points for him? Well, Marty, there's so many that, that fans don't ever think about, but it, it's more about the, the player today is so in tune to everything. They're so they're they're smarter than ever. Half of them could be GMs if they wanted to. You know, they suggest moves to GMs, some of the veteran players. So these guys are all in tune. They're texting their GM. They're texting their manager. You know, they're they're they know what they want when they're a free agent. And it's not just, we just see the contract. But like, for instance, Aaron Judge, I, I, I don't know if he's married or not, but if he is and you're a married player, your wife will actually text, say, the longest tenured person on that team's wife, and they'll ask how they treat the families. How's the travel? Are wives allowed on the plane? What's the kids' room like? You know, how do they treat the kids? Are there special events for them? And, and then the players will say, like, what's your manager like? 
What's your GM like? What's the team owner like? What are the teammates like? What do you guys do in the clubhouse? What's the travel like? How far is it to the airport from the ballpark? You know, all these things go into the decision. And, you know, maybe you get Willie Mays in on it. Maybe you get Barry Bonds on it. And you try to recruit Aaron Judge. But there's so much more that goes into it besides just the dollar amount and the contract length. Obviously, that's number one, right? You want to get paid. You want to set up generations for your family if you're one of the elite free agents. And that you're lucky enough to play so well for six years in the big leagues to become a free agent. I mean, that's that's hard in and of itself. The average career is like two-point-something years. So if you're lucky enough to get to free agency and you've played well enough to get paid in free agency, there's a lot that goes into it, Marty. Way more than I ever thought of. But I was talking to some players a couple of years ago, and Ryan Zimmerman, they, they would text his wife. They would text Ryan for free age, asking about all the things that go into the organization that we never even think of. So what is it? What does it come down to? Is it just the money? Follow the money that we always like to say? Uh, is it the, or is it something else that's uh, intangible? So what what would you say it is if it's not the money? What's the next thing? My thing would be winning. Are we going to win? Are we going to win a World Series? Are we going to have a parade? Are you going to? Are you? Are you as an organization going to surround? Just say I was a good player. Let's just let's like role play for a second. Are you going to surround me with other players that are going to give me a chance to win a World Championship? Because if I'm going to sign the National League West, there's two really good teams out there. There's the Dodgers who won 11, 111 games, and there's the Padres. And, and are we going to be able to get out of our own division to get into the tournament to win a World Series? So if you're going to go sign other players, and maybe the Giants have to sign other players first to lure Aaron Judge here, but my number, but everybody's different, Marty. My number one thing besides the money would be winning. I want to win. Maybe for me, the winning would come first before the money because I, there's nothing like playing October baseball. There's nothing like getting that ring. You know it. You experience it. We experienced it together in 2010. We weren't even players. So there's nothing like that. So if I'm a free agent, my number one, my number one place, my number one destination is going to give me the best chance to win a ring. So how did the Giants approach that? You brought up a good subject, and we had that that sort of goofy columnist from New York uh, this week. It was on KMBR saying, uh, "Well, they're going to get Trey Turner, and they're going to get Rizzo and Judge." Uh, you know, so how do you ju- how do you judge something like that? Where do the Giants stand in this kind of thing? Because uh, they've got money, but to bring in two or three free agents, you disrupt everything that they've done for the last four or five years. Yeah, I don't know, man. I really don't know. If if I were Aaron Judge, I would really have to be sold on Gabe Kapler. If he's going to be my skipper, and when you get to that point, does your manager really matter? Because you almost run the team if you sign this long contract for tons of money. But I would be quizzing Jock Peterson. I'd be calling Logan Webb. I'd be calling, I mean, Carlos Rodon. I'd be calling all these guys and saying, what do you got on Gabe? What do you got on Farhan? What do you got on ownership? And everybody knows the Giants treat their players well. I mean, it's basically the New York Yankees of the National League where they treat the families well, they treat everybody well. But I want to know for myself, I, I want an honest answer from people that have been the dugout, people that have been the clubhouse. What, what's, what's my coaching staff like? What's my GM like? What's my owners like? Okay, uh, good answer. Well, we'll see. Uh, number one is the money. And years ago, if the Yankees wanted you, the Yankees got you. Now, with this average annual value contract situation, there are other teams that can compete with the Yankees. Not a lot, but there are other teams out there. It's not just the Yankees' threshold anymore uh, that you have to go past. Uh, you, you can put your own money out there. So that AAV is a big deal for me. You could pay them 40 a year for five years. 
And, you know, and he still could be a free agent later in his career if it's still going. So the Yankees always had the, the field to themselves, not anymore. So I'm hopeful that that's the case. Talking to Marty Lurie, nice enough to join us here tonight. Baseball savant Marty Lurie uh, on the show. Well, is that good? That's good. You're a baseball okay. savant. You're a baseball lifer, man. You've, you've taught me so much about baseball. You might have been the first guy, Marty, <laughs> post-playing that made me, like, take the guard down and realize that you didn't have to play. Because remember when I first started, it was like, ah, oh, if you didn't play, what do you know? If you didn't play, yeah. what do you And then you were the one of the first people that I met and come across post-playing that's like, wow, Marty's teaching me about baseball. He never played. Maybe I should open up my brain to other people and open up my mind to learning from people that never played. And I've learned so much about baseball from a lot of people that never played. So you're the top of that list, and I, I always cherish everything you say. You're so smart. You're so intelligent. You're so passionate about the game. And I know you've been watching the World Series. So your thoughts, Dusty Baker, one went away from his first ever World Series championship. Well, it's been an interesting World Series. And a as these series go, uh, a storyline gets uh, played out, and you sort of get uh, a trend that happens in the World Series as you get to games five, six, and seven, which we're on the brink of doing right now. And uh, we have that trend going on right now, and that is the depth of the Houston pitching. Even though it was a little shaky early on, uh, the depth of that pitching staff is starting to obviously come forward right now with the Javier combined no-hitter and with uh, Verlander giving five innings and then the bullpen yesterday. But for me, the trend that's starting to happen, the Phillies hit earlier in the series, and now they're striking out like crazy. Now it's baseball 2022. They're striking out over 30% of the time. Uh, Hoskins and Real Muto have struck out like 45 times together. Uh, Schwarber and Harper are basically being pitched around. Uh, Castellanos can do nothing. Uh, the end of the order has been a problem. And Rob Thompson, as aggressive as he's been with the pitching staff, and he's done a good job with it, uh, getting them, you know, the relievers in at the right time and the, the bullpen's been good. He's not been aggressive with the lineup. And I think the trend I'm starting to see right now, Phillies just can't get a hit with runners in scoring position. Neither team can, to tell you the truth. But the Phillies really can't. So that trend for me, the Phillies not hitting. Uh, they needed four good starts out of Nola and Wheeler, and they haven't gotten one yet. And we'll see Wheeler tomorrow night. So that's a trend for me, too, that the starting pitching has not lived up to it. But the biggest thing for me is we're starting to see the dominance of Houston and the, the bullpen that just brings in guy after guy after guy to throw 97-98 and the Phillies not hitting. And that's the trend that I see going into game six. What do you think about the Astros? There's still a huge bias out there to the whole cheating scandal from 2017. There's a lot of people that called the show, Marty, that's like, I don't want them to win. I'm not over it. There's people from that team. There's players from that team still on that team. I've kind of turned the page. Dusty Baker, I think, was the perfect remedy to whatever was going on in Houston. He's done such a great job. He's on the brink of winning a World Series championship and I'm over that. I'm okay if the Astros win. Are you okay with the Astros winning, or do you still have that cheating thing in the back of your head? I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it. I mean, it's five years ago. We're watching the games here. Uh, you're seeing good baseball players. I mean, Altuve <laughs> hits a ball over his head. You know, he hits the way you used to hit. I mean, he hits, he hits everything. And, uh, you know, he's starting to be a real factor in this World Series getting on with his speed. Uh, 
Pena at shortstop has developed. I mean, you know, Correa who? And I, I like the Houston team. Uh, now, look, they don't hit at the end of the order. They've got as good as McCormick's catch was yesterday, one of the best in World Series history. He doesn't get much. Uh, Gurriel doesn't get much. Maldonado doesn't get much. So you're still dealing with, you know, four or five players who are elite players. And they're very good. How many balls have we seen them hit that went through the right side when the second baseman was uh, all the way over on the shift or was uh, covering the bag on a hit and run? They play good baseball, and they play good defensive baseball. So uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm, I'm over 2017. It's like it never happened for me. This is so far removed from that. It's, it's ridiculous. And then you get Dusty. And, you know, he's his own man the way he manages. Let's face it. Um, he goes with his starting pitchers longer than most people do. And he did it, you know, for years. Uh, with You saw it in Washington. And he's done it in Chicago and places like that in Cincinnati and with the Giants. And that's what he does. So uh, it's part of the trend of, of this playoff and this World Series here that he's letting that starter go into the sixth inning and then he's going into the bullpen, which is a little different for him. He did stick with Verlander early in game one too long. And probably last night stuck with Verlander, Verlander longer than any other manager would have because he respects the veteran arm. And it's great to see him do that. And uh, I just think he's having a good World Series. And I think he's realized, look, I got a bullpen here. Doesn't matter who I bring in, they can't hit him. So as soon as there's trouble, and I'm going to give my starter some leeway. As soon as there's real trouble, though, I have no problem going to the bullpen. And for him, that's new. Yeah, let's be honest. Dusty hasn't had the best track record in October. He's made some questionable decisions. He has. He did in D.C. I saw him do it in Chicago. He did it with the Giants. The whole Russ Ortiz thing and and giving him the ball. I mean, he's had his trials and tribulations in the month of October. But is this team kind of dusty proof, if you will, based on, you know, he could just throw a dart down there in the bullpen and whoever comes in is going to throw a million. They're going to get the job done. I think he's done a great job managing uh, Marty in the, in the sense that it's a nice combination between a team that's basically as analytic as any team in baseball. And then you got old school dusty and they kind of like blend together where he's a conduit to the players. He's got his old school Hank Aaron stories. You know, he's got all of his great experiences as a manager. And then you got all the analytics over here. And he's not against it. I just think it's a it's a nice match. And I think more teams would benefit from a lot of analytics in the front office and an old school manager. And then you get the best of both worlds. Oh, absolutely. And he can work through that. And he's done. He's, he's shown the ability to do it. And you know, I don't know if you, have you seen the new Joe Madden book? Have you seen that yet? The one he did with Tom Verducci? Just some excerpts from it, and, and, and his whole experience in with the Angels. It sounded it sounded like he had a, a rough time in Anaheim. Well, the point, yeah, he did, and the the point was, look, we love analytics. Analytics are great uh, for scouting. It's great for defense. It's great for understanding how a pitcher's throwing and this and that. But you can't come in the clubhouse and tell me how to use my bullpen. And you can't come in the clubhouse and go up to one of my relievers and say the algorithm says you can't pitch today. And you can't do that. You can't tell me how to run a game and how to run my bullpen. And I think that's where Dusty shines, is that I think he can deal with the analytics, but I think everyone knows their limits, and especially Houston 
which went through all the stuff with Lunau and all the stuff they did with all their analytics and the thing with the Cardinals and everything else. I think they're going to – they probably respect Dusty for who he is and what he brought to this team to straighten things out, and I think he can work through it. But that's how analytics works for me. Uh, you know, you can't come in into the clubhouse. Look, you're well, what if they came into you and said to you, hey, FP, uh, you can't play tonight, and, and you were just – you just went six for seven. Uh, and sorry, you can't play tonight because the algorithm says – uh, this guy throws a high fastball, and you're having trouble with that. How would you feel? Well, I mean, if I was six for seven, I want to be in there, obviously. <laughs> really? I, and, and it's weird, Marty, that the evolution as of a, a ball player. I mean, I used to get pissed and pout if I wasn't starting. And then at the end of my career, I'd look at the lineup card in Oakland and go, oh, crap, I'm playing tonight. And I had this just this comfort zone of not playing at the end where I'd look to see if my name was in the extras. But then when it was in the lineup, I'd like have a small heart attack and get ready to play. So if my manager said, hey, you need a day off because you've been on base a lot, which is what Felipe did. Felipe well, was the opposite. a 30-year-old guy said it? A 30-year-old math major told you that. Uh, I'd probably punch him. No. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> see, that's, that's the line that they crossed for Joe Madden. That's the line. 30-year-old me probably wouldn't have taken it very well. 56-year-old me would probably just be like, okay, I get it. I, I understand. But 30-year-old me had a chip on his shoulder. I, that's why they called me the fighting Hydra, man. I, I probably wouldn't have taken it very well. But I, I, Felipe used to do this, Marty, and no other manager I played for did. He would give you a day off when you were hot. And his theory was, if I keep playing you while you're hot, you're going to be on the bases three, four times a night. You're going to get tired, and your hot streak's going to eventually end. So for me to prolong your hot streak, I'm giving you a day today. Relax, take a load off. You've been on base three times for the last, I don't know, week and a half, and you you look a little tired to me last night. So I give you a day off. The next day you come back, and your streak stays hot. There's no manager in the world that would sit a guy that's I don't know ten for his last fifteen. But Felipe used to do that, and then the next thing you know, you go like six for your next twelve, and your streak is 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 still intact. Well, Felipe was different, I'll tell you that. And uh, there goes the no-hitter. Uh, I love when you say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the, when that first hit happened, there goes the no-hitter. I guess that's what he used to say all the time. He used to say it on the bench every night. In yeah. A-ball, he would say it, and we'd giggle. And then he'd do it, and, and then he'd do it in the great. dugout in Montreal every night. And and then we finally asked him why he says it. It's more, It was more of a superstitious thing. But he'd say the first thing you got to take care of every single night if you want to win a game is getting a hit. That's the first box you have to check. So he's he goes, and he would say that, and then as a tribute, I used to do it on the air to Felipe. That was my sneaky tribute, and people would, like, text me and tweet at me and say, like, oh, this guy's a jerk. He's saying the no-hitter was broken up in the first inning. What's he talking about? And it was my sneaky tribute to Felipe Alou, who was one of the Rick biggest influences. Yeah, he's one, of, he's one of the biggest influences in my life. Oh, absolutely terrific. I love uh, You are a wonderful analyst, a wonderful TV analyst. What a pleasure to listen to you. Uh, Wotus talks a lot about Felipe. And uh, I've learned a lot from Wotus, believe me. Just You know, the whole key to this whole business is just listening and just realizing you don't know anything or everything, and you just listen to what people say, which you said when we started off today. But Wo used to say Felipe would tell him, show me the man first, then the player. And I never forgot that. That's uh, Wo says that a lot. And, uh, you know, I said, well, how's this guy, that guy? And, and Moses, show me the man first, and I'll, then we'll look at the player. He would bring in a pitcher. For, he hated relievers. He'd bring in a pitcher from the bullpen. He'd throw ball one. He'd turn to the whole bench and go, he's scared. He's, he, this, man is, <laughs> this man is scared out there. 
because <laughs> he threw because he threw ball one. He was scared, and then he if he walked a guy, I can't watch this. He go get him. I mean, he couldn't stand relievers throwing not throwing strikes. I should say. So well, that's a problem having an outfielder as a, as a manager. You know, not understanding pitching as well right. as as a catcher or a pitcher would. But for me, uh, talking about Felipe Lou, uh, he is the Jackie Robinson of the Latin American players. Uh, he fought for everything uh, early in, in the mid-50s. He came from the Dominican Republic. Trujillo had him on an all-star team and threatened him and all that kind of stuff. What a background Felipe had. And he brought all that to the States. And uh, when they brought McCovey up and uh, they needed a spot for McCovey, they, they sent Felipe back. And Felipe was hitting like, you know, 290 or something at that point. He said, I'm not going back. I'm going home. And he went back to Puerto Rico, and uh, the Dominican, rather, and it, and they said, well, wait a minute, we got, we got to get you back. You're having a great season. So they made Hank Sauer a coach, and that's how McCovey got on the team. But Felipe, just as a young man, said, hey, I'm, pl- I'm good enough to play in the big leagues. I'm not going to the minor leagues. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. And he did. Yeah, I've heard and that then, story a number of times from him. It's a great story. And when, yeah. you, when you talk about what he's – he used to tell us, Marty, that in the minor leagues he played in the Southern League and he would have to go to a different restaurant than his other mm-hmm. teammates. They would eat at one restaurant. The white players and the Latin players and the black players would eat at another restaurant. He used to tell us all these stories about the awful fans down there and what he went through as a young Dominican kid coming over in the United States, teaching himself English, teaching himself how to do things. And when you talk about the last three managers for the Giants, Marty, Dusty, Felipe, and Bruce Bochy, mm-hmm. those are all Hall of Fame managers. Like, yeah. Dusty's, like, cinch right now. Bochy with three World Series is cinch. And Felipe should be because of what he re- represents to the Dominican Republic and what he's represented to the Latin player and a Latin person managing. He was the first ever Dominican-born manager in the big leagues. And all he accomplished as a player, all he accomplished as a as a manager in Montreal and here in San Francisco, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And what other organization could say that they had back-to-back-to-back Hall of Fame managers? Yeah, very good. Well said. Yeah, I believe it. He is that special. And uh, I just love sitting down with him and letting him uh, talk about those stories. He was a huge influence, you know, in the early 60s. You know, did you ever play winter ball? Did you ever go down? I did. I played in Mexico for three years, and I played in uh, Venezuela for a year. All right. So the point is, to the people, the native of the country, who were from that country, it was a big deal, right, to play winter ball, to go home in in front of the crowds down there. So what baseball did in the early 60s said, well, we're not going to allow the people from the country to play in winter ball. So if a guy was from the Dominican Republic and wanted to be on the team, uh, sorry, baseball said you, we can't allow you to play. And it was a big to-do about that. And Felipe was right in the middle of that and, and convinced Commissioner Ford Frick or whoever else was involved in it to rescind that type of order. But that was a, a big deal in the early 60s, and they, they were you know restricting the ability to play in winter ball, and he put a stop to that. Winter ball is insane. I mean, they, they live and die with every pitch. It's like game seven of the World Series, every game you play down there. Marty, I went 0 for 4 my first game in Venezuela, and the headlines the next day was in Spanish, <laughs> Santangelo tiene un pie en el avión. It says Santangelo has one foot on the airplane, meaning I was going to get released because I went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. My first night, I was like, oh, my God. It was like the tabloid magazines, it's just like the newspaper headlines. They lived and died with every pitch, and they still do, and the passion they have for baseball. I had so much. I learned so much 
about myself. I learned so much about how lucky we are as Americans with what we have here. And I learned so much about tremendous cultures, the Mexican culture, the Venezuelan culture, the people down there. They're so loving. They're so giving. They invite you over to their house. They give you the shirt off their back. Just a wonderful experience for me. And I always sat in the back of the bus with 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 um, the native players. You know, the Americans would always sit in the front because like we're we're. We're from America. There was, there was guys down there that were we're better than you because we play in the States. I'm like, screw that. I'm sitting in the back with the boys. They taught me Spanish. We were drinking Tecates. We had a PVC pipe, Marty, and that the, we used to have to put out the window from the aisle to the window. That was our bathroom. <laughs> the PVC pipe was our bathroom. So we would actually go to the bathroom in the aisle of the bus, and the PVC pipe would be out the window. But the, but I wouldn't trade any of it. It was just wonderful experiences. I still have friends from Venezuela that I talked to, my teammates from Mexico. Fernando Valenzuela was our DH. He hit third every night because he could hit, and he was a legend in Mexico. So, like, I learned so much about a lot of things by just playing winter ball. And I'll tell you what, it was a culture shock at first when you're 24, 25 years old, and they're saying, you're playing in Mexico this winter. Go down there. I'm like, oh, my gosh, dirt roads and just, like, poverty everywhere, and just, like, how am I going to do this? And then it's just it's just how you perceive it and the attitude you have. And I had a great attitude about it. Even though I was homesick, it was just a wonderful experience for me. I, would, I wouldn't trade any of it. It was really, really cool. And it helped me when I came back to the States to, to communicate with the Latin players and to be empathetic to what they're going through in a different country. And when I see, when I see a Latin player do an interview after a game in his second language – it gives me goosebumps to just to know how hard that is because I've done interviews in Spanish in Mexico after games and it was hard because I was learning the language. And when I see these guys really trying and people laugh and they say something like, oh, look, look at his English. It's t- Are you kidding me? He's like on national TV doing an interview in a second language. It's so admirable that they that, that the players are doing this and trying to do this. And they, like Juan Soto learned English and I guess he was the fastest guy to ever learn English um, they, they had classes for Juan Soto in the minor leagues with, with the Nationals, and he, he picked up English and he would study it. He would go home and learn it because he wanted to be better at it. And so I guess it's a long-winded answer, Marty. Like, I, I wouldn't trade anything I ever did in winter ball. It was, it was more valuable than, than just learning how to be a baseball player. It was learning how to be a man. Well, it's a great experience. So Willie Mays uh, told me stories that uh, when he played in Puerto Rico, it was such a big deal in the playoffs and everything else that they'd fly him to New York and then bring him back just for game, just for the games. Uh, you know, and the owner of the team would take care of him and all that kind of stuff. That's how big a deal it was. But then I hear stories. Uh, Bob Guerin would tell me stories when he was managing down there that, you know, the way it was, you know, if you had a game on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, you know, they'd show up. The players would show up maybe, uh, you know, a half hour before the game and warm up and then go out there and play. Uh, or some, you know, guys would bring weapons. You know, you'd have to check your weapon with the manager. They used to, they used to throw dead roosters around like a, like a beach ball at Dodger Stadium during the game in Mexico. And then we had playoffs, and, and, and we were down there so long that the owner of Mazatlan put immigration on Matt Stairs, Nico Riesco, and myself because we didn't have a work visa. So they were trying to get us so we couldn't play because – I guess our, our visas expired because we were down there longer than, than we were allowed to be. So that we had, we had to fly in the owner's plane to go to a courtroom in Mazatlan wow. to get our work visas to participate. It was a nine game playoff series. So that's the lengths they go to yeah. to try to win in the playoffs. They're like, these guys are, are illegal and they don't have a work visa and they can't play. And, and our owner was like, Oh, we're going to get them a work visa. So we had to go get one just to play in the playoffs. 
No, that's the way it was. It's so passionate. So two things. One, uh, why don't more players play now? Now, I'm, I'll, what about Joey Bart? Joey, what are you doing this winter? Well, I guess I'm in, I'm back home in Georgia. Uh, Austin Slater, what are you doing this winter? Lamont Wade, what are you doing this winter? Why, why are these people, uh, Gonzalez, why are these people not playing winter ball? I think it's crazy. How do you not play winter ball? Now, the Giants are doing some things, I've told, with the minor leaguers, and I think I read it somewhere, where they're bringing a lot of their top minor leaguers down to the Dominican Republic uh, and giving them classes and the culture down there. And, you know, because, look, many of your teammates are going to be from the Dominican Republic and other countries because baseball is always looking for cheap labor. Look at the, look at the signing bonuses of the Houston pitching staff. And then consider, you know, if you're a first or second round pick getting $8 million, uh, in the draft. So they love the fact that they can go down there and, and pick, cherry pick these kids and not pay them a lot of money. So the Giants are bringing their top minor leaguers down there, I'm told, uh, to show them the culture of the Dominican Republic and the language and, and how people live down there to help educate them to be better teammates. So I think that's great. But I'll ask you again. Well, there's so many players in the Giants who had sort of uh, regressive seasons. Why aren't they playing winter ball? Why aren't they doing what Matt Stairs did? Matt Stairs learned how to hit a breaking ball, he told me, in Mexico. And he would bring equipment down there for the kids in Mexico. He did a tremendous amount of work for people like that. There's so many guys who played winter ball that upped their game. Why don't the Giants players, why are they not down there? I, I don't know. I, I can't answer it. It's probably personal preference. It's it's uh, They want to spend time with their families. They probably have personal trainers and dietitians, and they're hitting in their it's own different. cages. But there's nothing like playing. Matt Stairs used to have a, a, a cigarettes in his back pocket during the game, and there'd be a pitching change. He'd lean up against the outfield fence, and he'd light up a cigarette, and he'd just be smoking on the field. I mean, there was it was anything goes. We played three seasons in Mexico, and he was the mayor. They loved Mateo Stairs down there. He was... He he was basically part owner of the the Mayos. Right. We were we were the uh, the Navajoa Mayos, and he was great. And, and he did. He they threw you three o curveballs down there. That's where you the, the Mexican Winter League is. It was I don't know what it's like today. An off speed league. So they they rather walk an American than give up a hit to an American player. So they would just throw you all junk. And that's where Matt Stairs and myself we all learned how to hit the off speed there because you sat on it. If you saw a fastball in that bat, it would just be weird. You'd be like, whoa. That's a straight one. I haven't seen a straight one in a week, and we joke about it. But, yeah, um, I don't know, Marty. I don't know. You'd have to ask those guys individually. I guess there's you know, there's agents, there's injuries, there's time away from your family. But if I had missed a big chunk of the season and I was trying to, like, show my organization that I'm going to work through whatever uh, weaknesses or deficiencies I had the previous year, I would I would go down to the Dominican. That That's the league where the big leaguers play. That's the best winter league is the Dominican Republic. Puerto Rico's good. Venezuela is really good. Mexico is more like for double A and triple A guys uh, in, in the winter time, or at least it was. But if, if I'm one of those guys, yeah, let's go. I'll go. I'll go October, November, part of December, and come home for Christmas and get maybe a hundred at bats. Yep. Well, I see it down here. I've been to three or four fall league games, and a lot of the people who play in the fall league are rehabbing kind of players, guys who had trouble during the year. Amatos is playing down here. I got to see him a few games. And he had the quad injury last year. Uh, Logan Wyatt didn't have a very good year, and he bounced back and forth to extended spring training. He's he's playing. I got to see him play. Uh, the Cardinals have some young talent here. 
FP, where do you see this Jordan Walker? Where do you see this guy? Yeah. This is a this is a young Soto. I saw him the other day. The Cardinals have have a lot of people. Have down you seen uh, Darren Baker? He's going to play in the big leagues. He's starting to fill out. He had a nice year. He, he and we've been texting back and forth. But I had a few scouts tell me that he's a big leaguer. Oh, nice. No, I have not seen him. So. I haven't seen him. But yeah, I saw a couple of the Scottsdale games. So uh, you know. But the point is. This league exists for some rehabbing kind of players and players who didn't get a lot of at-bats or they want to uh, get a little bit more extensive training with. So we see it down here a little bit. But, you know, years ago, there were leagues in Panama and Nicaragua. There were leagues all over. And how about the the Hawaiian League and the yeah. Australian League and all that stuff? What happened to all that stuff? I have no idea. I, I always wanted to go play in Australia. I heard that, that that was a fun winter league to go to, but I don't know. I haven't been in touch with the winter league situation. I know that the WBC is coming up and people get all yeah. excited about that. And I am too. So we'll see you that Marty, we're up against the clock. We got to run. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> I haven't seen you in so long. Are you ever going to be in the Bay area or do I have to come to Arizona to see you? Well, I'll see you in spring training, but okay. no, I'm going to come up. Uh, it, it's you know, it's interesting being in Arizona, and just uh, of course, once baseball starts again, it's it's really exciting down here. I'm looking forward to February. Uh, so yeah, I'll be up. It's always good to do that. I'm looking forward to tomorrow night, Game Six, and uh, you know, as I've said many times to the audience, and we I did this in 2010 with you and 12 and 14. You can't win two games until you win the first game. So for all the Philly fans, oh, we got to win two games and blah, blah, blah. No, you have to win one game, and that's tomorrow night. So let's see what happens. Well, the last time I got a ring, the, the team that, that won the ring beat Houston twice in Houston in game six and seven. So it ain't, yeah, over till it, it's, it, it ain't over till it's over, and we'll see how it all works out. Marty, always great to talk baseball with you. Always great to catch up with you. Thanks for a lot of your time tonight. I could do four hours with you talking baseball because <laughs> it just feels so good. Good. I appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. Call me anytime. All right. Marty Lurie on KBR 680, the sports leader.